0: Four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another episode of Black in the Maritimes. I'm Fidel and I'm here by DJ, club promoter, uh, Jack of Old craze, JP West. Hi, JP.
1: Hi, how are you doing?
0: Good, good. Thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, me and JP, we we, we know each other for quite a bit. We have seen each other in 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 usually the same scene at at some points.
1: Yes, yes. It's been a few years
0: actually since we've known each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I I think you're uh I think you're one of the first black persons I seen in when I got to Moncton. So <laughs> I can't necessarily recall that. So. So, yeah, th- thank you for being here. So what what does JP is? Like, what does it stand for? Like, is it JP or John Paul? What is it exactly?
1: Yeah, it's just abbreviation of my name. Like, my name is Joseph Paul. So I just kind of abbreviated. Um, I kind of brought it back. I used to have it when I was younger. And then it left. And then, I don't know, Um, it just kind of grew. The crew just brought it on. And I figured, you know what? We're going to run with it. It's comfortable. Everybody's comfortable with it. And it kind of... It kind of made me
0: stand out more i guess oh nice nice so so tell us about you where do you come from how where were you raised well you know i'm from
1: africville um i've lived in halifax my pretty much my whole life i've from the north end so like you know from like Grey park area but I lived all over from, you know, the North End to Spryfield, because my dad and my mom never lived together. So it kind of was living both worlds, because my mom is white, and my dad is black. So I got to to live both sides. But, you know, I lived all over. I lived in Ontario for 10 years, and then uh, I came home. And then 10 years ago, I, I came up here for a weekend to visit family, and I never turned my back. I Came up here a month later and been here for 10 years.
0: Oh, wow. So you said Africville. Again, Africville has been a subject. If you listen to this podcast, you know, Africville was a place in Nova Scotia uh, in the 1960s. Uh, 50s, 60s, he was torn down. Um, then a lot of people went to North Preston, East Preston, well, uh, different yeah. places there in Halifax. Yeah, well, that's so what did you your- did. So were you in Africville or was your parents in Africville? Like-
1: no, my dad, well, my, my, my grandmother and my dad were. And then when the city took the water from Africville, then that's when they created the communities. But there was only certain communities that were created. So like when Africville was there, my last name, West, was the largest family name in Africville. We were the largest of all. Um, and then when they took it, they created projects, which was Mowbray Park, Uniac Square, Greystone, and a project in Fairview. So the majority of the family went there. And then names like Downies and Carvery's, they created their own territory, which was North and East Preston. So, um, but now it's like, my name is like, the smallest but it's the largest at the same time because like me and my cousin are the only two males left with that last name but the females have married and other last names you know what i mean so branded off but yeah we still own it we still own the property and we still have our reunions every every year
0: Oh, wow. That's that's very interesting. I mean, a lot of people don't know that Nova Scotia has uh, the oldest Black history in Canada. Uh, there have been Black since the 1600s in yeah. Canada, before it was Canada. Uh, and, you know, there's a, it's a part that some people try to obey. They're like, like kind of neglect. But uh, Nova Scotia has the richest Black history all over the country. And families such as yours have been here for centuries, uh, like hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time. And uh, they, they they gave it to us.
1: You know, they built the church that used to be there and, and stuff. But
0: it, it's still everywhere. It's, but it, it's still in our name, though. It, it still belongs to us. Oh, wow, that's, that's interesting. So you said you had a black father and a white mother. Uh, did you predominantly live with your mom or with your dad? No, I lived with my mom um, since I was born. Uh, my dad really didn't,
1: I don't know, kind of really take part till I was like around 11 or 12. But uh, I kind of like grew up with my dad's side of the family. My dad really wasn't there until later on. Uh, but yeah, once it was then, then I lived both sides. Like I would go spend time with my dad and I spent time with my mom. But it was weird because my mom was white, but we grew up in the projects. It was,
0: <laughs> it was very, you know, It was a very uh, interesting upbringing. So you were surrounded by black people pretty much all your life, like in if. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My whole life, black people
1: everywhere I lived in Halifax. But, you know, like I I also got my mom's side too, right? So.
0: So I I don't I I don't want to tell your age, but uh, like when what was it to keep growing up in Halifax around that time? Oh, man. (laughs)
1: it was definitely you know one of the roughest I mean back then when I was growing up as a kid um, especially being in Halifax was very violent you know and what a lot of people don't understand for us black Scotians is that you know when we're born and and I tell a lot of people it's like the movie Ants you know, they have two jobs they can pick. They could be a worker or they could be another one. And, you know, for us, Blacks and the Scotians, you know, our life was either to sell drugs or, you know, pimp. I mean, there really wasn't much for us back then. You know, there was a lot of gangs, uh, a lot of violence. Um, there was a lot of, you know, things that should have been near that wasn't there for us, you know. And even though they had things for the kids, it wasn't what it should have been. So it was very hard to uh, to
0: grow up at, in my era,
1: that's for sure.
0: Now that you're an adult and, and you see, and you look back, what do you think were the, why do you think that happened that there wasn't enough? Like, uh, you know, when you live in, in poverty in poor neighborhoods, usually there's a lot of single mothers, uh, there's there's not enough uh, funding, there's not better schools, programs and things like that. But what can you, can you pinpoint anything That you would say, you know, if I would have gone and done that or been here or people would have done this or that, uh, it would have been a better outcome for the neighborhood. You know, like when we look at it like now,
1: you know, my cousin, which was the owner generation who has created things, I, I think it was in my opinion, like a bubble, you know, when you're used to a cycle, it's a cycle that you stay used to. Um, And I felt, I believe that just in that time, um, that generation was, was comfortable and they just wasn't sure how to adapt. They were just able to react, if that makes sense. So um, now, you know, so much has changed down home compared to they've brought back, you know, uh, things within the community. Now. So all the projects have things that enable the kids to realize that there is more than what we see. Because for us Scotians to be able to leave is rare. There's only a few of us, like myself, that has been able to leave and stay gone. Because usually when you leave, you always go back. So, but now, you know, our generation is showing that there's more there and that you don't have to leave to get it. So yeah, it just yeah pro- that's
0: definitely. Sorry about that. I, <laughs> I I think I I was gonna agree with you. I said that yeah, that's definitely something that uh that now we see it. I I think I see uh you know I, again. Shout out to Alex cooney Ross from Family Over Fame. He's a, uh for Square and uh, he's one of the guys that had kind of taught me in a past episode that. How the community, how people are doing more in the community themselves, other than like waiting for the government or somebody else that they're doing it themselves to make sure that things are better. Right. And that's like even here in Moncton, like, you know,
1: myself and four other partners, we started something last year in this city that now the city is trying to follow, but they can't. And we started the community block parties. You know, where we've gone around to all the blocks and we've given to the kids all from our own pockets, you know, everything that we do from the food, from me playing the music to the face painting to everything we're giving back to the kids to show that there is more and that, you know, we're willing to give back to them. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I mean, like. And, and I'm going to go back to your, to your childhood because this is a lot that happens in, in inner city kids. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. Like, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? There's, a lot of people don't understand that. Everybody, when there's a kid, there's role models. somebody Everybody, every kid has his role models. In yeah. the ghetto, sometimes the role model is the dope man. Yes. Because that's the guy you see him with money. That's the guy you see yes. or the pimp because that's the guy you see with the cars. That's the guy you see with the girls. Right. And that's or, how it you know
1: was. Right. Right. That's how it was. That's all we saw. You know, we saw them, you know, you know, selling the drugs and pimping the girls. So to to us, that was something that was cool, you know, and I went down that road for a little bit where, you know, I thought it was cool. But, you know, again, you, you have a choice as an individual to continue to do that or to do right. And, you know, me and what I've been through to give back, it means that, you know, I'm doing something that was never given to me the right way.
0: So, what do you like? When you were a kid, I'm assuming you went to school. Was it the school near near your area, or that you went to another out of school area?
1: No, I went to all local public schools. um, Every year I was in, you know, local public schools, but I didn't finish school though. I only got to grade ten.
0: Okay, and and was that because like like again the the role models in that in that community, you were trying to follow that that route first. No, I just
1: was just being me, you know, thought I was cool and being a class clown and kept getting kicked out. And then finally, I'm just like, OK, I'm over this, you know, thought everything was good. But then again, back then, you know, being responsible or living
0: on your own was a lot easier than what it is now. So what happened when uh, well, what uh, what age did you drop out of school? Oh, geez, um, that's a good question. Um
1: I think in my teens, my early teens, yeah, because I graduated grade nine and because back then the, the grades are different, like middle school was seven to nine, high school is 10 to 12. So I graduated middle school and I did grade
0: 10, four years. So, yeah, probably like late teens. So when you when that happened, did your mom and your dad supported you? Did they say, no, you got to go get a job? What, what was the reaction when that happened?
1: Well, I left my my mom when I was about 16, and I started doing things like living on my own and, and working. And, you know, I go back to moms once in a while, but I kind <clears> of <throat> got the thing where, you know, I'm a man, I can do what I want and not listen.
0: So my life went down a very rocky road after that. I can imagine. I mean, 16-year-old on his own, I, I can see that people can get in a lot of trouble because we're... We think we know when we're that age, but we really don't. We No, we, we don't know us of what we're doing. No, no,
1: no, we don't. You know, and I mean, and that's the thing. Our parents tell us that. And now when you're a parent, you're saying the same thing and your kids are doing the same thing you did. Right. So but, uh, you know, I, I've yeah, I've definitely been through a lot.
0: <clears throat> I, I could definitely uh, I mean, I could see that at, at 16. So you're on your own. Uh you go to your triumphs and tribulations, and I'm assuming uh you know, trouble gets here and there. Was there anything life-changing uh within that route that you were living by yourself that you you probably said that you can remember that it was like, Whoa, this is this is real now. Like I'm I'm a grown-ass man and I'm and I'm facing consequences or I'm facing this or I'm facing that.
1: Oh yeah. You know, as soon as I left,
0: I realized that it was
1: on, and then you know, once I started doing criminal activity and you know, I I think it really woke me up when I went to jail for the first time in 19 and I got jumped in jail, not knowing what jail was about. And that really like woke me up and let me know, OK, yeah, you know, my consequences got a price, but it, it didn't stop me. You know, I was hurried. I, I, you know, I was on drugs, doing drugs. So it's like once. Once you're in that point of your life, nothing really matters besides what you're doing. And that's what a lot of people don't understand when they're on that is that, you know, when you're when you're adapted and, you know, you're in that circle. It's a very dangerous circle. And it's one of the hardest circles to come out of.
0: Wow, that's crazy. So when was the first time you got like indulged into the drugs? Like you were like into the drugs. Oh, geez. Uh I started when I
1: was 16. And back then, drugs were different, you know, cause it was all about just, it was all about hash when I was doing drugs, right? Hash and oil and then weed come into play. Um, and then I was heavy on weed. And then I hit my, you know, crack stage for five years. Um, that's when things really started to turn for me. And then I quit. I've been clean ever since. But then I, you know, as I got older, it was jumping into the more harder drugs. You know, the, back then it was the ecstasy, and you know, uh, it was yeah. I was like, I was drinking a lot. Like I remember me and my friend, we would sit down and drink like a two four or forty, and probably smoke like a ounce of weed just just in a day, just because we wanted to, you know. So
0: wow, I uh, I mean, I I can definitely you know. When it comes to stories like yours, uh, as a man of color, uh, as a black man, I've never been in any type of criminal situation, but I, I kind of know when things happen because I, I know a lot of people and I've been around a lot of people. And it took me years to realize that everywhere there's a pattern. And I think you probably could collaborate. Like when, when you go to jail you see a lot of in canada you see indigenous people and black people and there's white people too there's there's both but when you calculate it blacks are only two percent three percent of the country but in jail it seems like it's the highest population yeah they're the highest population in jail yeah and then you start realizing when you talk to people that have been in jail and they're like, where, how, where'd you go? Where did you grow up? And it's usually the same pattern. It's like underfunded places that nobody comes in to help or nobody comes in. And there's no opportunities for people to like, okay, after, you know, it, and this is a, one of the greatest things about New Brunswick that New Brunswick doesn't, doesn't see it, but it it is one of the greatest things that a lot of people have, it's way easier here to go to a trade or go to college. Uh than maybe in a high dense populous neighborhood where there's no funding because people don't even tell you about that. That's yeah. not even a word there. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? But
1: and, and the thing about it too, like, you know, it has changed uh dramatically, you know, over the years. But um the, the sad thing that a lot of people don't understand, at least in Canada law, is you know, you're guilty until proven innocent. There's no innocent until proven guilty. And statistically wise, you know, um, when a criminal activity happens, you know, they attack us a lot more quicker than they attack anybody, you know, and it's it's sad and it's it's so sad, but it's so true. Like, it doesn't matter what the offense is, you know, we get attacked or we get, you know, critic, criticized or guilty a lot quicker than what any race will ever get, you know. Yeah. And,
0: the, and there's a perception on that, too, because, I mean, like you could be driving, just having a normal day with your kids and all of a sudden a cop stops you because he thinks like you're speeding, let's say. Yeah. And then he checks and he's like, oh, he has a record, like yeah. even if it's nothing, and then he's going to treat you automatically. The whole scenario changes.
1: Exactly. And, and the thing about the way they treat you, too, is when you're in the system, you know, they don't believe that you can come out. And I spent five years incarcerated off and on. And, you know, every time I went in, I came out with my head held high and I always would never let jail knock me down. I would take it as a learning experience. And even to this day, you know, when I get, you know, pulled over or I get talked to, you know, it's been almost 18 years since my last solid conviction. And, you know, I tell them like, not everybody stays in the system. Like, you know, some people do grow up. It's rare, but some of us do wake up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I also I think I spoke to Kyle Gabriel. Shout out to him. He has a, a company called Loss C. He he changes life around. And a lot of a lot of others are turning their life around. I think people have a misconception that they're like, like, you know, jail and is not the end of it all. And people look at it like if you are convicted of any crime, especially if you're black. Like, because let's say, like, I I have to say it straight. If you're white, it it is a different. It's a different system altogether. It is. Uh, if you're black and convicted, some people think it's the end. People, some people don't even lend you a job. Uh, some people ask you for more references. Some people ask you for twice the things that any normal person to work at a at a minimum wage job. Exactly, and you know what?
1: Sometimes a black person doesn't even have to have a record when they go for a job because they're they're looked at just because they're black. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, it's a struggle. So when you have to do right by yourself, you have to do it at 10 times more than what the average person would.
0: Yeah, that, that's definitely true. So, I mean, so you, you know, you drop out of school, you you get in trouble, you get convicted, you you go in and out of the system for a bit. When do you, when do you, and you're also aware, that, you know, addicted to drugs and things like that. When do you try to turn it around like completely? When do you say like, okay, that's it. This is, this is, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to just keep it as best as possible. And it has gone from there on.
1: Well, it took me a long time. So when I had, cause when I had my, 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 my two youngest, so the oldest one is 13. So when I had her, that's when I, you know, decided it was I'm done with jail. I'm not going back because, you know, I've, have prior kids to them, you know, and my oldest son, um, you know, when I had him, I was in a bad place, you know, so it was like, and then I had another one and then I had another one and I I just, I was always in this bad place and uh, I just wasn't myself. And uh, the one thing that I teach people and that I learn is that, you know, you can never be a friend or a father or a girlfriend or anything unless you fix yourself. So I honestly, completely fixed myself uh, when I left my ex seven years ago
0: oh wow so there was a and you know I I can relate to that as well because when you're in a bad place that that energy surrounds you that that energy is like even if your significant other or your friends and stuff like that and I'm assuming when you're in a in a certain type of scene you 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 get with people in that scene and it, it becomes a vicious circle right
1: Yeah. And you're used to it. And that's what you want. It's like, you don't want anything else, but what's around you
0: because you're comfortable. Like
1: I said, it's like a bubble. So, but when I left my ex, (laughs) you know, I, um, a lot of things hit me mentally to the point where, you know, I had to seek, you know, counseling and stuff. And then it really made me realize that it's time for me to change. And when I did that, you know, then I believed I was blessed, you know, God blessed me because a lot of, Positive things happened to me very quickly in the first two
0: years of changing my life around. Oh wow, that's that's amazing. So so that's that's congratulations to you. I mean, a lot of people, I think a lot of people think it's not possible. Sometimes when you're in that in that, because I'm pretty sure when you were in that situation, you didn't think it was possible, and eventually you did, and and you got out of it. I mean, a yeah. lot of people will think right now. I mean, to so, so anybody that's listening, and if you're going through something it's not the end you can definitely get out of it oh of
1: course you can i mean
0: deep.
1: i'm 46 years old and <clears throat> you know you go back seven years you know that's 39 and it's like at that age anybody in the right mind you know when you feel things are not going good sometimes you believe it's never going to go good and i did i believe that my life was never going to go anywhere you know i believe that you know nothing ever was going to be good that i was just going to get what i got and uh you know, when I look back at it now and I look where I am now, you know, I I believe that, you know, I, I've been blessed because my life couldn't be any more better than what I have right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're going to talk about that now. You said you came to Moncton for a month or was it a week? No, a week. Uh, so I have uh, a cousin that lived up here. He's been up here for
1: like 10 years at that time. And uh, it was a year since I saw him. So I seen him down home and he invited me and my, my ex at the time, um, up for a weekend. So we came up and I looked at her and I'm like, do you like it here? She's like, yeah. I said, would you move up here? She said, yeah. We went home 30 days later. I found a host paid for it. And we moved up 30 days later.
0: Oh, wow. So that was, that was a quick move. That was like, a.
1: Oh yeah. Like when my mind set on something, I do it. There's no hesitation. Like if I want to do something, I just do it. And, I make sure I get it. Like, I I don't stop. So it, it was a done deal. I went home and I was on the computer until I found a spot, sent the money. We packed the truck and drove up.
0: So why? I mean, and again, you live you said you lived in Ontario, you lived in, in, in Halifax. Why? What do you think set you up about Moncton to to just set up?
1: Because at that time, it's quiet. I mean, I'm from the city, you know, I'm from the projects, but I love quiet. When I lived in Ontario, I lived on a horse farm. So I I love quietness and I wanted to, I wanted to give better to my kids than what they had down here. because at that time, there was nothing and things were falling apart. And um, I just like, you know what, I, I got to make a move. So I tried to make a move that, you know, bettered them as well as myself. I just needed a change.
0: Oh wow, that's that that's pretty deep. So we're gonna talk about uh, a little bit of what you do now, which is you know you do DJing and uh, and you do clubs and promotions and and events. I think the first time I met you, uh, you were working at a club. I think it was uh, uh it was the IROC or something like. That. I don't remember what it a was. Revolution. Revolutions. That's, revolution. that that's one of the one of the. That's one of the places that I saw you. So was it something that you were into like doing events and, and DJ? Was it something that you always wanted to proceed, or or did it was something late at an age that, that got you into that?
1: Well, no, I mean I've always loved music. I mean, you know, again, us East Coast man, you know, music is is what we are. Like we speak through our music, you know, um, whether it's in a relationship or to people, because for me, when I listen to music, you know, majority of people in the club, when they go to the club, they're not actually listening to the music, they're listening to the beat and they might listen to the chorus. But that ain't me. See, I listen to what they have to say because nine times out of ten, I can relate to what they say. So I can express my feelings to people through music, which makes me know my music. So I've always had the love for music. I've always wanted to play because my uncle has been was a DJ and he's still a DJ for like 40 years. And um, I've always had a desire to do it. So I just, I guess I just never had the chance or the opportunity. So even when you met me in Revolution, I was only a bouncer because I've been in the club business for 14 years at that time. So I've been a bouncer in the club business for a long time. Like I actually still work for the Trailer Park Boys when I go home. So, you know, it's, um, it was there. And then uh, over the course, I think, uh, Four years ago, I uh, was doing my host parties. I was throwing massive host parties here. And uh, my 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 great friend, my brother, uh, Froggy, um, offered to sell me a board. And he, I bought his board and I started playing in my basement, man. And, you know, my, my great friend, Joey, uh, you know, was motivating, pushing me. And then finally, I got my first spot. And that was at our first uh, wavelength. Um, you know, two years ago. And when I did that venue, um, it was 150 percent negative and it was everything I could have asked for. And that's what made me come home the next day and just do what I want to do. And I just played and I was under the wing of many, many respected DJs in this, this city that enabled me to learn from them. And I just
0: gave it everything I got. And now here I am. Wow. So let, let's walk back. You worked for the Trailer Park Boys. Now, for those of you who don't know, and again, this is a very maritime podcast. The Trailer Park Boys are are pretty huge stars. They have Netflix shows. They have they had a syndicated television show nationally, uh, even went internationally to the U.S. How did how did that relationship came about?
1: Well, my cousin uh, pretty much runs security in Halifax. And uh, way back when Trailer Park Boys was on top, they opened up a nightclub in Halifax called Bubbles Mansion. And uh, at that time, my cousin come to me and I was one of the first original security crew that worked for Bubbles Mansion, worked with the Trailer Park Boys. Then they opened up the Toothy Muth, which is still running down there. Um, then they closed one club and opened up another one called Club Soda, worked with them. They have um, a wing shop down there. So it's like, I've been part of that family for years. So like when I go home to this day, I just call my cousin up and throw a shirt on i go work in a toothy moose for the weekend or whatever so yeah, i've always had a relationship with them yeah
0: oh that's that's pretty dope then and i mean shout out to them They're, they, they stayed i mean those guys could have gone well but their brand is barry nova scotia but they could have gone anywhere and kind of got bigger but they still they, they just stayed in nova scotia and still do what they do yep yep they kept it home right yeah yeah for sure so i mean you seem like a guy that, that has gone through ups and downs and, and has gone through a whole lot of different things over the years, but there's one thing as a Black Nova Scotian or a Black person in the Maritimes that you can't avoid, and that's racism. Did you, do you remember the first time you actually understood or do or, or you think you were, somebody was racist or there was a racist situation that you that you were in it? I was young. I was young, but you know... <laughs> You know, what's,
1: I think the myth a lot of people don't really understand to racism is, you know, when people look at racism, the first thing they think is that white people are racist. And I think if you really understand Halifax racism, it's actually the opposite. Blacks are more racist than any other culture in, in Nova Scotia because if you look at the history of how whites treated us, Yes. And we went through that era and then we broke free from that era. But I found that my generation as a kid believed that the white man still owed them something. So they carried that aggression and they still carry it to this day. And it's like and I think that's what made me break away from it, because I understand what racism is and I understand what it did, but I also believe, and my belief is very small, but I believe the fact that neither the blacks or the whites owe anybody anything because we can't change what happened back then, but we can only create what happens now. So for us to turn around and keep living on what happened, where are you going? I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like You're not going.
0: In in some ways that 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 may have a thing, but what happens is, and and I had to kind of dig deep into it because, uh, what I do think people don't understand racism. Racism is not somebody being discriminated or prejudiced. Racism is a systematic issue. It's not something that you know. Yeah, they can call you the n words ten billion times but that's not going to affect you in your livelihood that's just no it's
1: it's not but they do though that's the thing like when scotians hear it it's like a whole different like thing that goes on in their head but you know for me it it doesn't affect me because it's not going to change who i am it's not going to change what i'm going to do in my life right
0: yeah what happens is in especially in in atlantic canada in nova scotia which nova scotia has been the most affected to it the problem with racism in Nova Scotia is, is that it's so deep into the system that you cannot even see it. You cannot even feel it. Like somebody white would never even see it. Because if you look at, for the starters, Africville. Yeah. Uh, bill, these people were supposed to get reparations for their property. Those people were supposed to get compensated. If you're going to move me out, you're either going to buy me out or yeah. you either relocate me, but you're gonna have to give me uh, some type of compensation for the damages to it, though. That's that's the Canadian law. That's not yeah. just something that you put out that's the Canadian law. But that never happened. That never happened. No, and
1: they try to butter us up by giving us back the property, but that didn't do nothing.
0: No, they didn't do anything. They in fact they they did all the opposite. They they took the property out, they took you to a, another bad neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Where there was no funding, there was no no running things. Everything was it. They took you back to a probably a worse place that you were before, so. and that's the thing with the with the racism in in Atlantic Canada. The racism is not a white person would never see it. They would never see it ever no. because no. It, it would never affect them in any shape or form. However. If you're an indigenous or a black person, the system makes you stay in the projects. The system makes you go and get in trouble because they say, well, because you don't have any you don't have any after cool programs, you don't have anything else. And your mom's working. Yeah, your mom's working at it was working. So you got to pay the bills in a better neighborhood. They have after cool programs, YMCA Boys and girls club, all that, all that. jazz that you can find out. But when you go to predominantly black neighborhoods, yeah, that either is very, very small. That's like yeah. super small. If they have a boys and girls club, it's the most underfunded whatsoever. Oh, I know they have none. None. Exactly. exactly. Like they used to have big brothers and big sisters. They took that.
1: Yeah, I mean, like all and- these things, but. We live, we learn and we grow. And I'm just glad that my generation now has been able to grow and and change things that weren't changed back then, you know, and it's looking a lot better for the future for the
0: younger generation than what it did for us. And, you know. And I think it takes people like you that, you know, unfortunately, you had to go to those experiences, but it takes the, the difference. What's happening now is that Black people are taking their power. They're empowering themselves. They're exactly. like, I'm not exactly. waiting for anybody to give me anything. Right. I know this is not going to happen. I'm just going to do it myself. Exactly,
1: exactly. And that's where we're at. And that's
0: where the positivity is coming from. Yeah, and and I think that's 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 what that. So, uh, right now you're DJing, and you know you have a couple of residents. What would you be like? What are you trying? What would be the scenario for you in in the next years of DJing and and doing what you're doing right now?
1: I, you know what I, I I have I don't know I just have goals I guess like uh, you know I'm starting this business late I mean <laughs> really late um, you know I'm, I'm at the age where most DJs are just in 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 a chill mode relaxing my goal is to come in this with with extreme goals like I want to be different I want to be known different um you know I'm not walking into this career with just one genre you know I'm walking in there playing multiples um you know I want to be able to satisfy anybody that gets on that dance floor and it doesn't matter what it is or what I got to do and I want it I want to um you know be on them grand stage I I just want to I want to love my music and I want to be able to have my fans love it as much as I do.
0: Yeah. And I think you you can reach there. I mean, I don't think you're late. Uh, I I don't think you're late at all. I think uh, at this point in your life, you discovered it and and what you have to do is just keep moving forward. Right. Like that's what I I think uh, the internet is the, it's the broken barriers. Like you see people that are, now i saw like there's a, a a person called grandma techno she's like 67 or 70 years and she has like 10 million followers on instagram and she's like a star yeah at her at her late age and and it's it's kind of crazy that i think uh you know as long as i think nobody's late as long as they don't give up
1: yeah well you know you you know they say and i and i
0: even though i said that you know
1: you're never too old to live your dream you know, and I realize that now because this has always been a dream and I'm living it and I'm in it. one hundred and ten percent. Right.
0: Yeah. That, that's, really dope though. So if people want to find you or find any music or sets that you're doing, where do they go to? Well, I have my Facebook, but I also have my um, DJ uh, website, which is DJ West. And
1: um, you know, that's where I've been posting a lot of my venues um, because the last few months and more to come, I've been opening for, you know, multiple people like uh, I recently opened for Afro Man. Um, I'm opening up for uh, Jordan Croucher. I'm opening up for Danny Fernandez next year. I'm opening up for Dax in a few weeks um, and we have many more artists to come. So uh, and I've done my first wedding. So, yeah, so I'm posting a lot of it on my my website for now. And I'm also on
0: Instagram as well. Nice. So JP, I really want to thank you for doing this. And I got one last question for you. Uh, What is it like to be Black in the Maritimes?
1: For me, uh, from what I can see, it's a challenge. But it's a challenge worth being in. I I have no regrets. um, And my life
0: has been nothing but a learning experience. Nice. Nice. So JP, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing. That's uh, It's really amazing to see you grow as a person and to see you evolve, man. Thank you. Thank you. So guys, uh, if you want more, you can also subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you get your podcasts, Amazon, Google Podcasts. Uh, Thank you for anybody that donates on Patreon and PayPal, and we'll see you next week. Peace.